and during some of the toughest times I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time even to this moment uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us for another great episode today. But before we get to today's guest, I'm excited to share that my new book, Shift Your Mind, is now available for pre-sale, for pre-order The book breaks down at nine mental shifts to help you thrive in preparation and performance. It took me about three years to write the book, and I'm extremely excited to share it with you. If you're interested in pre-ordering the book for yourself, you can do so at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and IndieBound. And IndieBound is a great resource if you want to buy the book from your local bookstore. They have a bunch of stores listed there. I know the bookstore that I often go to, Politics & Prose in Washington, D.C., is there. So definitely check out IndieBound. Also, if you're interested in buying a bulk order of at least 20 or more copies, we have created a special offer that includes a shout out on this podcast, an hour long Zoom call with yours truly, myself, to discuss the book, and a mention on social media. We hope the book can help you and your team thrive. Now to today's guest. Dr. Mita Singh was connected to me by a past podcast guest. Cody Royal, who also has an amazing podcast called Where Others Won't. And Cody said, hey, Brian, I think you'd really enjoy talking to Mita. She's at the forefront of sleep and performance. And certainly this conversation lived up to the hype. So we actually get into my sleep habits in this conversation. And I should note that since COVID has hit and pandemic has been real for for many of us, including myself, sleep has been challenging and, and hard to come by. And I have two small little ones at home. So my sleep is really evolving. And this conversation just started to create more awareness for myself as far as what I'm doing, what patterns exist, when do I sleep well, when do I not and really prioritizing sleep in my life. And I even realized during this conversation that I wasn't super aware of what time I go to bed, how much sleep I truly need, what has changed since my childhood, where I maybe have a story in my head about what I need from a sleep perspective. So I become Mita's client in this conversation, and we get into the weeds when it comes to sleep. And uh, Mita is 
definitely qualified to talk about sleep. She has a clinical practice where she is the service chief of sleep medicine and section head and medical director at the Henry Ford Sleep Center in Michigan. She did her training in psychiatry at the Mayo Clinic and a sleep fellowship at the Henry Ford Hospital. She's board certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. She is a psychiatrist and sleep medicine specialist. She also serves as a consultant for multiple NFL Major League Baseball, NHL, and NBA teams. She's worked with college sports teams, large organizations, and CEOs, and other C-suite executives who are aiming for success in this global world. She, at her very core, believes that her job is to cut through the hype and disinformation about sleep and provide an evidence-based guide to getting each of us the sleep we need. And you will find out she asks great questions and really believes in an individualistic approach mapped on top of what the science says. So you're going to love this conversation with Mita. I know many of you are probably struggling with sleep just like I do. And so we get in into all of the details and, and tactics and techniques and, and ways that you can think more about your sleep. One thing that I've done since our conversation is just turn my phone off at night. There's no reason for it to be on and vibrate and just make noises and, and wake me up. So I know that sounds simple, but I hadn't done that until I had this conversation. So without further ado, I'm excited to present to you, Dr. Mita Singh. Mita, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Excited to chat with you. Cody Royal connected us and Cody said, Brian, I know you care about high performance and you have to talk to Dr. Mita. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited to learn from you today and share you with my audience, all of us human beings are trying to figure out sleep. And I think it's one thing that unites all of us is that yeah. many of us feel like we have not mastered it or figured it out. Or, and we all, I think more and more people are realizing how important it is as the science continues to build. Um, but you just started, before we hit the record button, you started riffing on the importance of preparing and making sure you set yourself up for success. So I'd love for you to start there and, and just sure. repeat back some of what you were talking about with me. Okay, so first, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, and, uh, you know, Cody is, is, a, is a phenomenal guy, as you and I know. So we were, we were just talking about, you know, uh, the principle of, of doing well now because you can't, you can't really work towards a goal unless you put in the reps right now, right? And so we were talking about basically our podcast that you want to, even if, if, if even if the the podcast is going to come out in maybe three months, you can't expect for a great podcast then unless you do everything right right now. You've got to do that on a regular basis, and that is something I tell people, um, especially when it comes to sleep. See, many times when you're trying to um, to make sure that you get uh, your sleep habits correct. The, the path to that is not always easy. And so you don't, it's not as if you decide to, you're, you're not going to be on the phone and you're going to read a book to help you fall asleep. You know, it's, it's not immediately gratifying, right? I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to get a burst of pleasure, not the same way that you would have got if you were on, you know, on social media or anything else, right? However, you, you know, because you can't get that immediate pleasure, what you need to do, you really have to continue doing that. You have to build that mindset that you, are, you will continue doing those reps on a nightly basis because come 
you know, come August, you're going to be able to fall asleep uh, easier. You'll have built that habit. And hearing you say reps, I think about strength and like when we work right. out one day, it's not like our body is transformed. No, it's a process. And if you keep doing the reps and you're consistent with them, you'll see changes. And same thing with diet. It's not like, oh, I just ate well today. And now all of a sudden I'm healthy and, and, you know, strong and fit. It's like, no, it has to be consistent. And I think mindset as well. It's not like, oh, you uh, did some work mentally today and now you're just good. It's, I think right. everything is process based. And it's, so it's interesting to hear you, hear you start there and, and just talk about preparation because I'm a big believer that you can be a high performer without preparing. Like you can be super talented and you could have a lot of things going for you but you're not necessarily going to maximize your potential without putting in those reps and doing the preparation. And what I'm hearing from you is from a sleep perspective, yeah, you can perform well on less sleep. Like, of course, mm -hmm. but are you more likely to perform well with more sleep? I would imagine that's part of the thesis uh, that, that you think of. So talk about sleep. Let's just dive right in and how you think yeah, about that. I, so hold on. I, I just want to follow up what you were just saying. So, you know, I always tell people, like, no amount of sleep is going to turn me into a basketball player. I know that. So it's not that you need sleep. You know, obviously, you're, you know, these elite performers or, or players that we work with, you know, they're, they have this innate, you know, these physical and cognitive abilities. They're already there. But we live in a world right now where, you know, where your opponent is also, you know, a physical God. And so everybody is looking for that one extra edge. And that extra, when you're looking, when you're looking for that extra edge, that's where sleep matters. Now you spend, or at least you should be spending about a third of your life sleeping. If you can make even slight tweaks to it, that will have a profound effect on your performance the next day. You know, and, and I, I wanted to, and, and one other topic I want to tell people is that, you know, I, when people say, well, you know, I'm, and, and I'm sure you've heard it when you've said, people have said, well, you know, I, um, I didn't get any night of sleep and I still, you know, played the best game of your, my life. Of course you did. You are a phenomenal player. But what, imagine how you would have played if you had a little sleep on board, you know, so luck you know, when it comes to, Brian, when it comes to elite performers or elite teams, you know, that's the only time when uh, luck or chance becomes relevant. So I'm going to give you an example, right? So if there was a major league team and they were playing and they were going to play against, um, you know, um, a little league team, you know, luck would be irrelevant, right? Because the luck would be only relevant if every member of that major league team fell ill and couldn't perform the next day. Because the competence, competence is so different between yes. one and the other. Yes, but, but, if, but when there are two teams that are exactly, you know, they have the same caliber. And right now, most teams that reach championship, they reach that, you know, they're, they're all, they're typically, the talent level is typically the same. Then luck does become relevant. Then it does matter who woke up 
you know, who had a good night's sleep. Then it does matter if you woke up and you, you know, if your uh, legs were sore, et cetera, right? That's where it becomes different. That is why we talk about, you know, enhancing those small things. I love it. And, and in my world, people always say, oh, it's all mental. Like sports is all mental. And I always right. call bullshit. Like it's not all mental. It's everything. Like it's everything, sleep right. matters, nutrition matters, strength and conditioning matters, technique matters, uh, skill strategy. Like it, you put it all into a blender and, and that's where you get high performance. And so I'm excited to learn about one component of it. And certainly there's a mental component to sleeping, but right. you know, it's, it's more complex than that. And I, I if I may interrupt you, I was going to say actually every aspect that you mentioned right now, sleep will affect or modulate every aspect of performance, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, um, whether it's, you know, even if it's the way that you, you're metabolizing your glucose to utilize um, while you're playing a sport. So don't every, they, don't they all impact each other? So what I'm eating yes, is probably going to impact my sleep. How much right. I exercise is going to impact my sleep. Yes. How my mindset is going to impact my, like this idea that they're all isolated and they're not holistic and they're not woven together. Like to me, we do a disservice when we say it's all mental because I'm, I, I think, no, it's all everything. Like right, right. my exercise, my fitness and my sleep impacts my mental. <laughs> like it, right, right. I absolutely agree. They're all interrelated, but I'm a sleep physician, so I'm biased. So I'm going to say, you know, cause I, I can, you know, I can tell you there is not a single, um, any, there's not a single physiological measure that affects performance that is not affected by poor sleep, you know? It really does affect everything. So, so, you know, first of all, if you don't get enough sleep, we know that your reaction time is reduced. And, you know, when you are winning in, for professional athletes, wins are measured in milliseconds, in milli inches. Your accuracy is reduced. This, the, you know, the second thing is this is cumulative, which means that, you know, four hours, first of all, it's dose dependent. Sorry, let me back up. Dose dependent meaning four hours is worse than six, is worse than uh, seven, is worse than eight when it comes to its effect on your reaction time the next day. But then a week of getting five hours in bed is worse than a week of getting seven hours in bed, right? So it's cumulated, the deficits accumulate. The second thing that happens is that when you get less sleep, on a regular basis, although objectively your reaction time and your accuracy get reduced, your self-awareness does not parallel it. So you are, you don't, you're not aware of being sleepy, which is a bad thing. And so this is why people do this on a regular basis, right? Then, you know, when it comes to your brain, we know that if, you, if you're sleep deprived, your judgment is impaired. At the same time, you become overly emotional. Your risk-taking behaviors increase. And so it's not surprising that the, the second main part that athletes are really scared of, which is injuries, also increases. Because if your reaction time is reduced, and if your accuracy is reduced, and your judgment is impaired, injuries are going to increase. Sorry, I, I know you were trying to say something. No, all of that makes complete sense. I. 
I've been thinking about this. I've got friends who have gone through resident school, residency. You're around doctors all the time. And I'm watching riots right now in, in the U.S. with police officers that are on their feet. And I've interviewed, you know, head of SWAT teams about this. I interviewed a woman who was in charge of Baltimore's SWAT team during the Freddie Gray riots. And I asked, you know, how long were your people up and on their feet and and they're sleep deprived and you you watch these police officers now and they're they're sleep deprived and they're on their feet every single night and they're they're getting things pelted at them and you're watching the rioters who are sleep you know the protesters who are sleep deprived and so i'm thinking about outside of sport right now the real life you think about residents and we have this system in medical school and you know this where they're up for like 36 hours and then they're expected to do surgery and be in trauma and emergency rooms. Or you think about the police officers who are expected to be like nonstop. I'm just curious being in the medical space and being in hospitals, like why is our system still having our medical experts do these long sleep deprived trainings when the science that you're talking about suggests that their decision-making goes down and it's a matter of life and death for people in emergency rooms. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yes. Yes. So there were two questions in there. So I want to make sure I respond to both of them. Yeah, sorry. I don't like to stack questions, but it, it's, okay. it's so That's present okay. right now. No problem. So the first question is that, that, that in response to what's happening in the medical field, there has been a lot of change, especially in the last few years. So um, I don't know if you know, but there was a case of uh, the Libby Zion case. So this was a case in New York City where a resident who had been up and on call was driving home, got into an accident, and somebody died during mm-hmm. the accident. And since, since 1999, there have been changes to uh, medical residents. So I, you know, so... Uh, legally speaking, we have a, we have a, um, it's called the ACGME, which is responsible for the general magic medical education of all trainee doctors. And it is very strict on duty hour rules. And so there's been a significant reduction. So nowadays, in today's world, residents and even fellows, training fellows, should not be that sleep deprived. So I just want to, you know, so there has been some things. How many hours? How many hours? Because I, I had a very good friend in the last five, 10 years, was in Baltimore, you know, shock trauma. Uh, you know, it, it was no joke. And I would ask him what what his hours were, and they were insane. Right, right. And, and so having said that, uh, you know, this is still an ongoing issue. I think that 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 group, the ACGME, repeatedly is looking at it. Now, you know, they can only provide guidance what people do in their local hospitals. You know, we don't really know. I know, you know, at the Henry Ford Health System, they're very, very, um, they're strict about that. And the problem is that although you can, you can. Um, be restrictive on the amount of duty hours that trainee doctors have. There is no such restriction on doctors who are out in practice, mm. right? So people who are out in practice may be working longer hours. But now, coming back to your second question, that is such an, that's, that's very, um, you know, that's a great question and very insightful because that, um, you know how I talked about studies that show that when you're sleep deprived, your that part of the brain 
that it's called the prefrontal cortex, which is really the brain that's just behind your forehead. That is the part of the brain that's responsible for good decision-making, for judgment, for multitasking. That gets preferentially um, uh, affected if you're sleep-deprived while you become overly emotional. And those decision-makings are preferentially affected in time crunch situations. So, and again, you know, this is not, you know, this is, we're speculating here, but I would imagine that if you're in, you know, part of that SWAT team, or, or you're part of these uh, protesters, the, you know, those time crunch situation is where, uh, you know, sleep depri deprivation would affect judgments or would make people over, overly emotional. But again, this is speculation, of course, based on studies. For sure. And I'm, I'm just watching the news at, at night and a lot of us are, are staying up and need to turn on. I, last night I had to, I'm like, I'm turning it off at, I think, 1030. I just said, this is not healthy for a lot of reasons. Uh, yeah. And but you're watching at night as it continues to escalate at night. And I think there's a lot of reasons why that happens. But I am curious also about the lack of sleep and mm -hmm. when that starts to kick in and people being fed up and tired and, and their decision making going down and then what possible actions can take place there that are not the right actions for that moment. And so yeah. it's, uh, it, it's, it's really fascinating. And I think the emotional part is a really interesting component because we've all, not all, I've been through like, I'm going to do an all nighter. And then that morning at six or 7am, I feel like I have all this energy and I have all this, um, you know, capacity. And then you hit like 12 or one and you're like, Oh no, I'm done. Like I can't even well, function. So I wanna, let, let's just talk about that for a minute, because what you're talking about is circadian rhythms. So what happens is that there are two independent processes that decide how sleepy or alert you're going to be. The first, of course, is your, uh, is your uh, sleep drive, which is the number of hours of sleep you've had. So the longer you don't sleep, the sleepier you'll be. But, but in addition to this, we have a clock in our brain. And it tells us, you know, and so when you wake up in the morning, it secretes an alerting signal. So even if you don't sleep at all at night, you sort of wake up in the morning and you don't, you know, you can keep going. And then in the mid afternoon, you hit that dip. And if you could take a nap, you'd take a nap. But even if you didn't take a nap, you know, you get that second wind right before you go to bed. So, and that's, so that's part of what your circadian rhythms do. And so that circadian rhythms, um, they, they, they alter the way that you're, so there's certain times of the day when you're more tired, there are certain times of the day that you're more alert. And, and, and another way to look at it, especially for say pro athletes, is that there is a certain time of the day when maybe you should practice. There's a certain time of the day when, you know, you want to do, you may want to take a nap because you are biologically, you're inclined to do so. The amazing thing about naps in the NBA, I've worked with NBA players and trying to schedule anything from like two to four o'clock is just not going to happen. Like the NBA, those guys napping has been a part of that culture for a long time now. But right. one of the amazing things is probably 10 years ago, the Celtics, I think were the first team that they used to do uh, morning shoot arounds in the NBA. And I remember 2000, let's call it three to 2010. Like I, I would even be at shoot arounds in the NBA at 9 30, 10 AM. These guys would come in with a hoodie and sometimes like the, uh, it would be the middle of winter and the heat's not even on in the building. And these guys are like zombies walking through because they might've landed 
uh, at 2 a.m. or they were out till 2 a.m., whatever the case might have been. And they had to go through walkthroughs. And I think the Celtics with Doc Rivers were the first ones to say, like, this is silly. Like, why are we doing these walkthroughs? These people are not getting anything out of it. And now I don't think any NBA team does does morning, like, walkthroughs um, at arenas well, anymore. Especially if, you, if they've been traveling, hopefully. You know, I mean, I think, I think the NBA, um, you know, so firstly, I think NBA has, as you know, has a very congested game schedule. And with the travel, I mean, it's, Sleep is inherently, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, sleep deprived. I, I know that the, the MBA is really trying to, um, you know, get experts. I mean, I, I just um, two weeks ago spoke at the NBA uh, Strength and Conditioning Association meeting. Uh, but, you know, the one thing I think people, your audience members who are not professional players don't real, may not realize is that if a shoot around is at 10 o'clock, you know, players will get there maybe an hour, hour and a half before that because they have to warm up. You know, they may have, uh, they may have physical therapy. They may have to be on the table before they even get on the court. And then, you know, they may have, so if they, they may have practice. They may have post-practice uh, uh, sessions, et cetera. So that day can be really, really long. I want to back up a little bit. We'll we'll go back into all this. I find I find this stuff fascinating, and it's really helpful to learn for personally and then also professionally. But give me an idea of your upbringing. Just give me um, some sense of how you became interested in this. What what life was like for you as a kid? Uh, how did you become you? Well, so you know, while growing up, I think I was a. a I, I like to tell the story because. You know, I, if you, if at the age of 10, you had told me that I was going to be working with professional sports, I would not even have, I would have no idea what we're talking about. So, you know, growing up, I was very nerdy. I liked to read a book, like, you know, and I sort of traditionally went into medicine because that's what nerdy people who were non-athletic did in my school. Uh, I, I did my, I did my, um, uh, training. I, I, did, I did a psychiatry residency at Mayo Clinic. I got met my, uh, and my husband, who's also a doctor, and he's born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. And so I came to Detroit to do a sleep fellowship at the Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Center, which is a phenomenal place. And um, hey, Mita, the, why, why were you interested in, in sleep, or were you not interested in sleep at that okay. point? So I was doing a psychiatry residency, and during the Towards the end of the psychiatry residency, in that last year, you rotate through different rotations to decide if you want to super specialize. You know, and there were a few things I, I know I did not want to do. I didn't want to work in child psychiatry. I, I, that was very difficult. Um, I didn't want to be a general psychiatrist. So I was thinking maybe a medical liaison, which is um, you know, uh, which is another field. And then I was thinking about sleep medicine. But once I got married, I, I wanted to be in the Detroit area. And uh, when I did a sleep rotation, I mean, you, I absolutely fell in love. I mean, what is not to love about sleep medicine? It's, you know, it's so cool. And when I did my training, which was almost, I want to say 18, 19 years ago, um, sleep as a science was not really well taught in 
medical school. So zero training in medical school, a little bit during my residency, but mostly my exposure was in that last one month that I did at, you know, when I, I worked in during my residency in the sleep field. So I come to Henry Ford Hospital and it's very unique because uh, we have Dr. Thomas Roth, who is basically the grandfather of sleep medicine. He's the editor of the main textbook of sleep. And Dr. Timothy Rears, who's the grandfather of, you know, any sleep pharmacology. So he's, a, and, and, and so I come here and I interview here and, you know, I, I, I start working. And I, initially I was doing a little bit of research and I was doing uh, clinical, seeing patients of, with sleep disorder. So, you know, I would say a typically very boring life, clinical life. So nothing, you know, nothing much to talk about. And, you know, and then I felt pregnant. I had, I had first one child and twins. And so for a long time, that's, you know, I was raising children, but I always wanted to work um, with helping people enhance their sleep because I'm telling you, enhancing sleep makes everything else better in your life. Mita, right. go back, go back one step for me. Why psychiatry? Why not some other type of medicine or, or medical practice? You know, I so the two things I wanted to study. I was always interested in studying the brain, and I could either do psychiatry or I could do neurology. And again, you know, I'm 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 going to say something which is not no longer relevant in today's world. But if you did neurology, um, you know, when, when I was growing up and when we were training, you know, if you were, you were working with neurology, most of the disorders like a stroke or, you know, dementia, or there wasn't much you could do for the patient. Mm. And so I chose psychiatry because you could at least, you could really help people with medications or therapy. It's so, interesting because the neuroscience is with technology, it's starting to it's just amazing. boom. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. There's such a big change in it. So, which is why that I, I wanted to apologize that, that, you know, that is no longer the case in today's <laughs> world. But, but this was, you know, a few years ago. And so, um, so I started working uh, with a lot of the auto companies because we have the three big auto companies here in, in uh, Detroit. And I started working with um, executives because they would be traveling to China, they'd be jet lagged and they wanted to enhance their sleep. So that, you know, they'd have to wake up in the morning, have late night calls with uh, Asia, et cetera. So that's how I started. But, you know, when the way I started working with professional athletes is really is happenstance because I heard on, on, on the radio, there was some so-called sleep expert talking to uh, the Detroit Lions. And I, I basically cold called um, Dr. Michael Workings. He's the team doctor for the Detroit Lions. He works at the Henry Ford Health System. I was like, Dr. Workings, uh, that's rubbish. What is that guy telling you? And so he said, why don't you, do you want to come and give us a presentation? And uh, I was like, okay. I, you know, and so, um, so two points I, I really want to mention here. Firstly, you know, when you start working with professional athletes and and professional teams and I, you know now i work with teams in all the major leagues but i don't know if you've heard of the concept of gatekeepers which you know it's it's really difficult to break into um uh, these you know esteemed or um you know these uh 
uh, work with professional uh, sports, especially at that level. And typically gatekeepers are people who keep you out. And I, you know, for me, um, it was Dr. Michael Workings and Dean Kleinschmidt, who was the head athletic trainer at that point. And he's now retired. He, he won the, he won, um, I think a couple of years later, he won the, uh, the award for being, uh, you know, the best athletic trainer, the lifetime achievement of that award. But they really did welcome me. In. And but so the, the timing is, is apropos because sports teams in the last 10 years, yeah. the sports science boom has been unreal. Whereas those athletic trainers, you know, early 2000s, it was more about, you know, taping guys up, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that they have everything they need. Now you have this most, most of the pro sports teams have a sports science department and there's a lot of them are coming from Australia and New Zealand and um, they are uh, obsessed with trying to find those percentage points that you talked about when it comes to nutrition, sleep, exercise, you know, surgery. I mean, all the mindset, psychology. And so it's, it's an interesting, um, storm because I think in the nineties and early two thousands, yeah, they, the mindset was sort of old school. It was like, right. oh, just play, like, just right. play. Like, who cares? And, and Brian, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still get that. You know, I'm yeah. sure you do too. I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of old timers who say, well, you know, we were able to do, and, and that is true, but you know, the, the only way to bring science into this, because, you know, when whatever science is being applied to a professional team, it has to be an art. You know, it can't be, you, you have to, and, and, and that culture of this is how we did it all along is, you know, can really, is something that we all have to sort of tide over. We have to go back and, and you know, repeatedly. I, I love that you said that the science has to be an art. What do you do to try to make it applicable? And what does that look like? What is the art of what you, what you do look like? So, so, so let me back up by telling you and your audience something, you know, so think, you know, I, you know, how people will say they came into some, uh, uh, to this field. So the, the field of sports, with some knowledge. I mean, I came into the field of sports with negative knowledge. I really did not know anything, especially about American sports. And, you know, and I, I jokingly, if I can just tell this anecdote, I tell people, so I came the first or second day, I came back from the Detroit Lions and my husband's born and raised in Detroit. And, um, and I was like, you know, I have to look up this question. This guy asked me a question. He's like, what's his name? And like, his name is Matthew Stafford. And he's like, oh, you know, he's the quarterback. And I was like, what is a quarterback? <laughs> and my husband's like, you can't go back there. Like, what do you mean, what's a quarterback? You can't ask these kind of questions. But, but you know, but I knew sleep very well. And I think it helped because, you know, when I approach these, the players, the team members, for me, they're just people who are looking for help. Now, you know, how, how do you make it a art? You have to begin with educating the entire team. 
as you know. The entire team has to, because you can talk to a player, but if the coach says, well, I want you there at six in the morning, it doesn't really matter, right? You have to begin with education and that education has to be interesting. It has to be interactive. It has to be something the players can understand because they have, these, the players have a lot of things coming to them, right? So you want to, so, so they have to, for them to pay attention to you, if, if it's not inter interesting, if it doesn't fit into their lives, if you can't convince them they have to make these changes, it doesn't really matter, right? Number one. Number two is that uh, you have to give them how-to tools. And I know this sounds very, you know, simplistic, but if you, you know, if you tell them, give them the science. Uh, let me tell you one more thing. You know, a lot of times I will meet coaches who say, well, well you, you know, I'm saying make sure that the, your talks are really simple. Like, you know, when you talk to the players. And I'll tell you something. Players, most players love the science. As long as you explain it to the, the, at the simplest level. And, you know, because when you explain the science behind sleep and circadian rhythms and you explain it to the players, they immediately can relate to it because they undergo this. You know, athletes are typically highly tuned to their bodies. They know when their energy levels are, are low. They know, you know, when they can't fall asleep. They're like, well, I, I know you're telling me this, but uh, trust me, when I get off that plane and I'm in a strange hotel room, I, I'm not falling asleep. I mean, everything you're saying is not, gonna, is not working. So you then have to work with them on a one-to-one -one basis and you have to run through these scenarios via trial and error to find out what works individually for them. Can you give me some how-tos on exactly what you talked about? I, not right now, but typically I have speaking gigs and I'll, I'll go and travel and I, my wife crushes me. Like I'm a terrible sleeper when I go into a hotel room um, and have a really hard time falling asleep anywhere outside of my bed at home. What are some how-tos or some tips that you would give someone like me um, to, to be more effective on the road? Okay, you want to, should we answer that right now? Should we take yeah, that up? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the first thing I would say is, how, what kind of a sleeper are you when you're at home? Good question. <laughs> I, I am inconsistent. I'm like very inconsistent. I, I have always been somebody who has trouble waking up in the morning. So I would start there. My, my mom would say, I've got two brothers and I was the one that she'd have to like drag out of bed. Um, are you in my house? I can do a lot of work at night. Um, like I can, I can get a lot done at the nighttime, but then like when, when it's time to like try to fall asleep, I'm pretty tired, but I do struggle to fall asleep. I have a hard time shutting down my brain. Um, I'm a pretty high energy person and I think I'm someone whose mind runs. And so, yeah, I think it hard for me to go to bed. I typically am try to be in bed with kids. Everything's all over the place. But I would say, regardless of kids, I try to be in bed at like 1030, um, may have the TV on until 11. Um, if I can shut down everything before 11, yes. I find that I'm in a much better place. If I don't, if I still am watching something past 11, it can, 
yeah, then I'd start beating myself up. Why can't you fall asleep? Yada, yada, yada. But even if I go to bed at 10, I'm somebody who will have a hard time waking up at seven. Like I, like the morning wake up is, uh, I've never, never been somebody who can wake up at five 30. My wife, she, she can wake up regardless of what time she goes to bed. She's up at five 30 and like up. I don't really wake up. She does not go near me much in the morning. Like she's like, I don't really mess with you in the morning. So if you, if you didn't have any place to go, and you were, you know, you were, you could make your own schedule. You didn't have to worry about, um, you know, social or family obligations. What time would you like to go to sleep and wake up? I would say 1130. Yeah. And Nine. Yeah. Like 830. Yeah. Like, uh, I, like I, yeah. Yeah. So you are, you know, you're not a very severe night owl, but that's your, your sleep cycle. So the first problem I would say is, so, so first of all, I know you asked me this question because you're asking about when you're traveling, but I think you would be, it, it would be best if you started working on your sleep issues while you're at home, because you're not doing, you're not very hot there either. So, so I would say, I would say, first of all, uh, if you are able to, and you can make your own schedule, you should try to go to bed earlier, later, and sleep in till about eight, you know, um, eight thirty, nine o'clock. Number one, because I think the one problem that people have is because of the work issues, etc. They sometimes wake up earlier than what their biological uh, nighttime schedule is. And I don't know, but there was a—I don't know if you know—but there was a recent study that just came out that showed that people, because of the pandemic, people are working from home. People are now. Some, a certain set of the population is actually getting better sleep because they're allowing themselves to go to bed later and, and sleep in like they normally, instead of sleep depriving them. I'm glad you brought up that last point because I think there is a social pressure that if you're sleeping to eight, right. anytime after eight, you're lazy. Right. Like you're just lazy. Okay. Uh, like there, there's, this, there's this story. And okay. even when it comes to exercise, like one of the things I've actually figured out with all the stuff going on is I've been working out later but i'm yes. working out more yes right now so in my head i'm like who cares i don't ha like i can actually set my own schedule so some people can't set their own schedule they have to go into work open up a store or have to you know be in the office by a certain time for me i can actually decide how i set my schedule and so i've started to say monday tuesday thursday friday i'm gonna work out at eight o'clock mm -hmm. and society would say i should do that at five thirty, right? Or six o'clock. Like a lot of what people are saying, you know, do that earlier. But for me, I'm like, no, if I work out at eight, I'll probably sleep till seven 30. Um, mm -hmm. and I'll get a good night's sleep and then I'll exercise. And who cares if I start my day at nine or nine 30? Yeah. Uh, like it does, it doesn't affect me. Now I will say the challenge is I had a client today who said, Hey, can we do eight o'clock meetings, um, going forward? And so you start to run into this tension between right. what am I supposed to do? What's best for myself? What's right. best for my business? What's best for my clients? And I go back to setting boundaries, which is, hey, if Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I am doing eight o'clock workouts, that means I'm sleeping on X. Maybe on Wednesday, I'll open up a time slot for a client, but I'm not going beyond that. And I need to set some boundaries around what's best for me and what's best for my health. Um, but that's hard to do. Uh, right. So, so let me just, let, let's just spend two minutes talking about this. So, like I said, 
you know, we all have circadian clocks and circadian rhythms. So a circadian rhythm is just a intrinsic cellular clock you have in your body, which uh, keeps time in a 24 hour cycle, right? And it's synchronized to exposure to light and day. So, which is why you're awake during the day you're, and you're asleep at night. Now, what you're talking about is something called chronotype or uh, you know, night owls versus morning larks. So people have these genetically predetermined traits that decide what time you prefer to go to sleep, what time you wake up, and what time you're going to be more alert during the day. So it sounds like your wife is a morning person. And you know, as compared to her, you're more of a night owl. Now, it's important to remember that when you go to bed, if you went to bed at 11.30, and woke up at 8.30, 11.30 or midnight to 8.30, for you, midnight is the beginning of the night. For your wife who maybe goes to bed at 10 o'clock and wants to wake up at 5 or goes to bed at 9.30 and wakes up at 5, midnight for her is the middle of the night, mm. right? Do you see how, how now, it, you know, your, um, your chronotype is sort of difficult to change if if you have the ability to, um, to arrange your life around your chronotype and, and, uh, that, and if you can sleep better aligned to your chronotype, that would be fantastic. Now, remember, remember your, your, your circadian rhythm of alertness and sleepiness also varies during the day. So for example, if you're a night owl, it's actually, it may be, you may get that second wind and it may be better for you to exercise in the evenings. And actually there's a, there's a study done in elite athletes that show that there is a significant variation depending on time of day. So for example, I'll give you an example. So if you had a team A, which was mostly full of night owls and team B had mostly early morning people and if they, the game was at night, well, team A would be at an advantage, right? They'd have a biological advantage because they would be peaking. That would be the time when they would perform better. Is that something you've, you've researched when you go into a team? Do you, assess, yes. what do you find, is there any correlation between uh, night owls and morning? Are, are, are pro athletes oh. more disposed in one or the other, or you find it mixed? So, so, you know, in some of the studies that are done in Olympic athletes, et cetera, there's a lot of morning people. The problem is that we don't, there, there's not been a lot of studies done in pro athletes in the leagues here in the U.S. Typically, though, younger individuals are more likely to be night owls. And a lot of the players are night owls, right? And it, which, you know, since most of the games are in the evening, uh, you know, it, it would lend towards that, that, you know, you would, you know, that's what you'd want to do. But there's, there's a study that shows that, for example, morning larks in Major League Baseball pitch better during the morning, during day games versus night owls, which, you know, who pitch better during nighttime. So it, it does. The other way to look at it is, uh, is that, I don't know if you've heard of this study in which there's, um, it looked at 40 years of NFL data in which they looked at night games in which East Coast games teams were versing the West Coast and found that the West Coast teams beat the Las Vegas point spread and won twice as often because 
you know, in, during night games, they're playing at their peak advantage at time where while the East Coast teams, their circadian dip has already started to occur. I think about where sports is going and a lot more individualized personal development, skill development. Yes, for sure. So, so I, when, you go, the, when, you go to, when you go to a team, are, right. they, are you assessing? Are you assessing yeah. the entire yeah. team and then right. saying, hey, here's where your team is 70% are night owls or whatever and, and then break down the individuals so that they have more awareness on that? Or how does, what does that look like? So, so when I work with a team, you know, I, what I do is really, really simple. I go in and I do education and I do some screening using uh, actually a screening tools that are meant for uh, identifying sleep issues in, in athletes. And then, you know, based on that, there is a smaller percentage of people who need to talk to me on an individual basis or who need to see a sleep doctor because they have a sleep disorder. But mostly it's education and it's, you know, ha- changing in habits, et cetera. And it, or it's identifying those dysfunctional beliefs they may have or dysfunctional habits, sleep habits, and then addressing that. And part of it also is, you know, identifying sometimes there are players who are like morning people. I, you know, I was working um, last season with a, one of your New York um, uh, uh, Major League Baseball players. And he, he had moved to uh, New, York, New York City and had got a high-rise ap- apartment. And he's a morning person. And, of course, most of the games are at night. And so when he wakes up in the morning, there's all this light streaming through. And that wakes him up even further. And it was, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of talking about them and also having, making sure that they get blinds in. Just, you know, simple things like that to make sure that the light exposure isn't, doesn't occur at the wrong time. Um, you know, so, I, so can you go into that? Because for me, it's interesting. I lived in San Francisco for a couple of years and I remember I was in grad school and the light would wake me up and, but it, it was almost more natural. Like the light right. would wake me up. And I remember feeling more refreshed. I was also younger, so that might have made right. an impact. But what time were you waking up? I don't even remember. I'm trying to think about it. I, I, I bet you it was nine or 10. I don't know. I think it was probably like, yeah, around maybe like 8.39. Maybe it was, it was because right. yeah, with kids also, everything just goes out the window. They wake up, you wake up when they want you to wake up and you don't really get to decide. But I, I, I Brian, do, yeah. Very simply. You know, light is the one, the, the most important way that you can shift somebody's biological clock. So what, I'm going to hit two different separate points to remind me. So the first thing is that if you, if you expose yourself to really bright light at, you know, before you're going to fall asleep, that's going to delay your clock. So it will make you go to bed later and wake up later. If you expose yourself to bright light in the morning, it's going to make you go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. But so that's the, the first thing. So which is, you know, if you if you get into bed at 11 o'clock and you start watching TV, you know, it's not just it's it's not just the fact that there's there's, you know, there's things that may you know anger you or may make it more difficult for you to relax. But the light from the TV itself can make you go to bed later. But same but, with the cell phone, right? The blue yes, light, any, any handheld device there. They have LED lights in them and that will do the same. However, in addition to that. 
Um, you know, the second thing is that, that one of the ways that our circadian rhythms are strengthened is by making sure that your room, when you're sleeping, you have darkness. And when, then when you wake up, you should be, have enough exposure to bright light. So think of light in, during the day almost like an alerting pill. So if you wake up spontaneously and there's nice bright light outside and you get exposed to that, that strengthens your circadian rhythm and you know, improves your mood and does a whole lot of good to you. This might be a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it. So how do I have the darkness at night? And like, if I got a blackout shade, for example, and then yeah. still have the brightness of the morning. So, uh, so what you do is that if, you know, of course, in, in fact, it's sometimes easy in hotel rooms because most hotel rooms have bl uh, blind out shades, right? But you can always carry your own night, uh, your eye shade. And that make, make sure that you are not exposed to much light when you're sleeping. And the whole point is, is that, that the light doesn't disturb your sleep. So when you naturally awaken, you take that light off, your shade off, sorry, and then you get exposed to bright light. That's the best way to get light. I'm smiling because my wife actually uses one of those. Her sleep is so good. And, and I watch her and I'm just like, gosh, your, your sleep and exercise and I do think that for those of us who are not morning people, our mm -hmm. relationship with sleep, I, maybe I'm biased or speaking for one person, our relation, my relationship with sleep is I don't have a positive relationship with it because right. I'm so waking up in the morning and I'm like grumpy and I, right. I, you know, I feel right. like I want more. And our society, I think my perspective is once again that you should be waking up at 5 36 7 and i force myself to do that i'm like okay i'm supposed to be up by seven so i'm gonna wake up at seven when my body and my mind saying gosh i'd really like to wake up at eight right uh, well okay. saying it out loud it, there's almost like a stigma to waking right. past eight o'clock like what are you doing you're lazy get up like go to no. work no, no so it has nothing to do with laziness right yeah. i mean i can understand that when we were um, you know, when we were mostly farmers, we lived in an agricultural society, you wanted to wake up to maximize the time exposure to light. But now it's not that. Now, having said though, th that let's just circle back to that question you had about, so you said you, so I would suggest for you, first of all, don't try to go to bed when you're not sleepy because you can't command yourself to fall asleep. However, I also think you're not really prepping for sleep the correct way. So, you know, I, you know, you said, if I, if I can turn my TV off by 11 PM, I know that it improves things, right? So maybe you need to set an alarm, mm -hmm. not, not to wake up, but even to remind you that it's time to start prepping and creating that winding down schedule. And I, you know, again, this is a very individual thing, but I would say things like, uh, you know, taking a hot bath or a shower is good. It helps you fall asleep, prepares you so almost that you're going to go to sleep. Your winding down schedule should be electronic free, which means you can't have TV, you can't have, you know. And then because you mentioned that you have difficulty turning your mind off because your mind's racing, that means you need to replace, you need to start doing things that'll stop you from thinking, right? And so the, the two things that come to mind, number one is maybe you could, you could read a book um, you know, read a actual paper book, you know, not on a phone that, you know, because then you're too tempted to do, you know, I read, I read on paper anyway. I don't read Kindle. Oh. I don't read phone. And I, I have oh. probably four books next to my 
nightstand. Yeah. I, I do find reading at night is, is beneficial. So I right. love that tip. Right, right. I mean, think back when you were younger and you fell asleep while doing homework, right? If you were bored, it was so, so maybe keep some non very not very interesting books by a bedside. <laughs> that I can't promise you, but we'll yes. make progress on the I can't <laughs> read not interesting books, but so, I like where your mind's at. So so you know, use a dim light. The light should be like like use a book light that's only and so you don't get exposure to light in your eyes. And you know, uh, meditation. Uh, maybe like mild stretching exercise, like almost do this in a ritualistic matter and don't command yourself to fall asleep. The other thing is that for some people, I suggest that if you have a habit of worrying about things, or if you can't stop thinking, actually schedule a worry time earlier during the day. So every day, I don't know, anywhere in the early evening. So, you know, early, for me who goes to bed about 9, 30, 10, early evening would be about five. You know, sit down with a piece of paper and then strategize and write a list out of things that you have to do the day next day. And it sort of helps. Um, it helps you gain a little bit of control over it because you feel you've already sat, sat down, written things down. And so when you start thinking or worrying when you get into bed, then it's then, you know, you've already done it. And again, this is, you know, we how we, we started this podcast by talking about regular habits. When you start doing these two, three small things, you're not going to see the results tomorrow. You might even actually get very mad at me because you'll say, well, you know, I had to put down my whatever program you were watching or I can't play another, I don't know, Minecraft, whatever young people play. <laughs> I don't know either, but go on. Right. But, and I'm, instead I'm sitting and reading this not very interesting book, but it's, it's the repetition. It's putting the reps in slowly and stop worrying about your sleep. And I would say, you know, if I would encourage you, if you could actually, if you could start your day even a little later, and if you could even exercise in the evening, because I bet you you're full of energy in the evening, right? You get a second wind. I often, uh, so this is also the challenge that I find is I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast are high achievers and they're maximizers and they're ripping and running and, and, and trying to, be ambitious and make their dent in the world. So for me, like I've got two small kids. My schedule is something like home dinner at six, make sure that I can be with them from six to eight, help them go to bed if they're willing. Uh, and then if they're in bed by eight, I often will then work. And so I'll work from eight to 1030. Um, and uh, then I- do, do you do your best work then? It's a good question. It's, it's a little tricky what best means for me because I work with people so often. Um, and so I'm not working with people from uh, 8 to 10.30, but I might be sending an email to have someone come on the podcast. I might be writing for my book. I might be right. doing some sort of content creation during that time. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just different work. It's, uh, um, it, I, I can't call it best because my best work occurs right now like my best work is in person and coaching and and doing the work that i do but it's important it's you know, important work right right and i understand i see the thing is that we do live in this culture where we we want to maximize our productivity but i i would tell you uh the same thing i talk tech tell everybody which is that you know working smarter doesn't mean working longer for sure you really and, and you must you know taking your own you know, there, there's actually times 
during the day, we're biologically working at a certain time and not working at another time will make you more efficient. So I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, and I can run through that. So for example, you know, when you wake up and you know, typically you're good for mental work. This is traditionally for people who go to bed, maybe at 10 or 11 or wake up between six and seven. But in the, you know, so maybe you're, you know, you do a lot of mental work in the morning and you could do some physical work at that time too. But then in the mid afternoon, there's always a dip in our alertness. And, um, you know, there've been, there are plenty of studies that show that, that uh, we're not at our optimal best. I mean, there was this study I looked at and it looked at um, the jobs report. I, I don't know if you've heard of that. So basically the, what the study showed is that when, you know, in the mid afternoon, when they were, when these, these companies were talking about the, the economic reports, which, you know, and these are well-trained individuals. They, there was, they were not able to do their job as as well. So there even, is this, even the study on Israeli judges, uh, right? Sentence yes. where people, Dan, you Pink, Dan Pink's book when I don't know if you've read it, but it's yes. the troughs and and all that right. stuff. I, look, I I think all of that is fascinating, and I think what I like about what you're talking about is each of us individually has to figure out what's best for yeah. us and then be yes. consistent and create processes and systems to do that. One of the areas that I'm, and maybe we'll, we'll start to wind down on, on this, which is coaches. So you go and work with a sports team and they're saying, Hey, you got to help our players sleep. Right. The NFL, which I'm looking behind your shoulder. Okay. Yes. And for somebody who said they didn't know who the quarterback is, there's a lot of footballs. I, yes. footballs. I got some game balls. You've got a lot of game balls behind your shoulders from yes. different sports teams in the NFL. And so I'm assuming you've, you've come a long way, but um, one thing I'll mention, and then I'll go to my question is I think what you said is really important for anyone that's interested in working in the sports industry, which is sports teams aren't that interested in how much sports knowledge, you know, they're interested yes. in how you can add value to their teams. And yes. so I think there's a misconception and I hear this all the time from people that reach out to me to learn from me. Uh, it doesn't matter how much sports you know. Yes, you need to find out a baseline. So you need to know what does a quarterback do. And but yes. that, that stuff is so easy to learn. You don't need a doctorate to learn that stuff. It's, yes. it's very transactional. It's very seamless. It'll take you a minute to learn what those people do. And so for anyone interested in sports, I just think it's, it's less about the sport and more about the value add. And I think yes. your story is a good reminder of that. Back to the question piece, coaches. So the NFL coaches, in my experience, are the yeah. worst when it comes to sleep. They have this idea that they should sleep in the office. And I've even heard pro and college coaches say, yeah. I have a bed in my office and, and I don't sleep because in football, the head coaches can control and impact the game more than any other sport. They yes. call every play from the sideline. They spend Monday through Saturday preparing for what, you know, they play the least amount of games. And so... I'm curious your experience in sport because in my experience, coaches are often interested in how to get their players a percentage edge, but oftentimes don't look internally in understanding their own, their own development. And so have you worked with any football coaches or coaches oh, yes. on, their, I, on their sleep? Yes. Yeah. So I, I'll tell you, so the uh, football coaches, the NFL coaches, I think are the hardest nut to crack here in this. And as you know, and only, you know, as an insider, you know, how sleep deprived they can be. And again, it's, it's, it's a matter of changing a culture. culture. You can't change that culture. 
overnight. You really can't. Now, you know, and I'll tell you, the, the pushback you, you're going to get is that there are only 32 such jobs in the world. I got, I, this is what I have to do. So paranoia, has, paranoia is really high. Really. Well, so so, so th that change, Brian, has to come from the head coach because the head coach, then only it can trickle down. Now, I'll tell you one thing. You know, is sleep essential for a coach? First of all, sleep is essential for learning. You only hit the save buttons while you're asleep, whatever you learn during the day. So whatever film you've, you've studied, you can only hit it, you know, you only learn after you, you consolidate that learning while you're asleep. The yeah, second can, thing is- can you, just, can you just go into the learning that takes place oh, yes. while you okay. sleep? Because a lot of people don't know that. And it, I think it's one of the most interesting pieces is right, that right. sleep is rest, but sleep is also where you're, you're, you're learning, right. right? So in your brain, so, so, you know, so think of the three main functions that is happening in your, in your brain. So firstly, during the day, you're taking in information and at night you're saving that information and you don't, you do this in two separate areas in the brain and think about, think, and most of the saving occurs during your deep sleep and two things happen. Number one, all that extra information, which is unnecessary, gets pruned. So in fact, a, a function of a good a memory is, is the fact that you're able to you know, get rid of extra stuff, like things that you don't need. And then you hit the save button while you're sleeping. So that's number one. Number two is, you know, whenever at night when you're sleeping is when you take creativity happens. So when you, you take information, that newly taken information, you put it together with something you've stored in the past and you come up with novel solutions. I mean, that is why we say sleep on a problem. Like you've never heard of somebody saying eat on a problem. And, and so, so think about coaches. What do they do? They, you know, they take in information. They have to come up with novel plays, et cetera. Well, sleep is really essential for that. But mostly, the, the, the third thing is that sleep is important for emotional regulation, right? And for communication. Like, what is the one major thing your, the coaches are supposed to do? They're supposed to communicate, right? You build camaraderie. You build a relationship. You build trust. You need communication skills for that. And sleep is really essential. And decision-making, like they're, the, those coaches are making decisions so right. quickly and, and so right. often. And, well, I, and, then, yeah. and finally, you know, I'm a doctor and I'll tell you that getting poor sleep, irregular sleep, so is responsible for a lot of medical issues. So it, it impairs your health. And so there was this study that, that came out actually early 2020, and it looked at, or was it 1990? I, I, I've lost track of time since the pandemic has happened. But, but basically it looked at on-call uh, subjects and found that if you were, firstly, if you were doing shift work, DNA breakage increased. And, and if you were sleep deprived, it was augmented, you know, it was worsened. And this was done on on-call doctors. And so, you know, young players are, are, they're focused on performance. They may not think about long-term effects on health. They want performance and they don't want to be injured. But for everybody else, like the coaches, the athletic trainers, everybody else who's also the living that life with them, they are affected. They are interested in their health. And so that's another reason to, to talk about that. And so, yes, you're, you know, it's funny because when I, uh, so I spoke at the NFL Combine, I've, I've spoken there, I think, three times now. 
And the first time I, I went and gave them a talk, this was to the NFL Physician Society meeting. And they came up to me and they're like, well, Dr. Singh, you're talking about players. Uh, it's, the, it's the coaches. And, and, we, you know, and, and again, it's, it's a slow process. Culture change happens very slowly. You have to repeatedly go in, give them information, but you have to also give them the how-to tools. You know, and, I, and I'll tell you, I, if you're going to be working really late and you're really sleep deprived, Brian, I'm actually okay with if you want to sleep in the training facility because I don't want you to be driving home when you're so sleep deprived that you're going to fall asleep. It's almost better. I mean, ideally, you don't want that at all, but it's, not, it's, it's still the better alternative. Uh, it's a really good point. We'll have to talk to their spouse about that as well and see what their thoughts right, are. Right. But look, right. I think, look, these are high intense, high pressure jobs. And so it's not for me to say what's right or wrong. I think it's to pose the question and have them figure out what's best for them and, and, and how they can be their best. Um, one question for me, and then I want to go to you to close, which is, I, I do notice there are times when I'll wake up at like 6.30 and I'll be, I'll be ready to go. But I'll, I'll sort of be like, eh. I'm going to stay in bed till 7.30 and then 7.30 I'm like more tired. Is, is any idea what that's about? Like there are times when earlier in the morning I'm like, it's five o'clock at six. I'm, I'm like, I'm ready to wake up, but I'm How not. How do you know it's five o'clock? I look at the clock. Stop doing that. <laughs> Don't look at the clock. Yes. Why are you, so why are you ruining the last few minutes of your sleep? You know, set an alarm to the latest time that you can wake up. Hopefully, in your case, it would be 8 p.m. or 7.45, whatever. And then turn it to face the other way. You don't need to know in the middle of the night what the time is. Because that's just, you know, you probably, when you wake up at 7.45, you could probably have slept another half an hour to feel refreshed. So that's number one. The second thing is that, and I, you know, it's, it's important to know that people don't jump out of bed, you know, full of energy. That is not how normally life works. You know, people, it takes a little while to get going. And then, and so you have, you know, especially it depends on sleep inertia, which is, you know, it takes a little while to get going when you, when you wake up and especially, so if you're sleep deprived, if you don't get enough sleep, well, you're going to feel groggy for a little while longer. Last question for me, what do you intentionally do to be your best? And obviously sleep's going to be a component, but we've talked a lot about sleep. I'd actually, right. you know, you, I think you mentioned going to bed at 9 30, 10 o'clock. I like, you can go into your sleep habits. I'm sure you get asked that a lot. I'm actually more interested in what else you do to be healthy. Um, is there any habits or anything that you do to make sure that you're mentally at your best? So I, I, I will there are two things that I do on a regular basis. The first is that um, is meditation. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm, uh, I, I think meditation is a superpower. And, you know, I, I've, I built that habit. It's been now about eight, nine years. So the, for me, it, I, ideally I'd like to meditate longer but for sure, it's what I do first thing in the morning. And I do some meditation in the evening, um, at, you know, at night. I do that on a regular basis. What, what kind uh, of meditation? So I actually follow, uh, it's called the Self-Realization Fellowship of India. Um, they are a, uh, it's an organization, it's worldwide, but they, they have their headquarters in, in uh, Detroit, no, sorry, 
in California. And so they give you, they give you the tools basically. So they, they give you lessons of how to meditate. And, um, and so, so that's, that's number one. The second thing is that, uh, you know, the, the only thing I can, I do is that I, I make sure that I do something on a regular basis. So I do, uh, I, I play yoga, um, I play tennis and I do yoga and I do that on a daily basis. And when I wake up in the morning, because uh, I'm, I'm a morning person. So when I go, you know, if I, and now, of course now I'm doing the yoga from home, but if I was going to the yoga shelter, wherever I was, I was practicing, you know, I don't, I don't negotiate with myself of whether I'm going to go or not. I, you know, I get up and I get into the car and I drive there because I know once I get there, I'm going to do something. And, and, and you know, the, the third thing is that I, you know, I'm also a full-time mother and a full-time wife. Uh, you know, so in addition to this really cool job that I have. So, but, so when, I, when I'm at home, you know, that's what I do full-time, you know, because I have three teenagers and, um, and so that's my focus. And, um, you know, in my, in my life, I'm, you know, I, I'm trying to, I want to make sure that I increase knowledge, but I also want to increase um, work, wisdom. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I, I think of like maximizing knowledge as one path and maximizing yes. wisdom as a different path. I, absolutely two things. Yes. And a lot so, of times yeah. people just are focused on maximizing knowledge at the expense yes. of wisdom. And yes. I, I'm a fan of both. I think they're different. Right. And I, you know, and I, I'm, since I started when it comes to knowledge and it comes to professional, um, you know, athletes, since I started at negative, <laughs> I'm always working. I always have to work hard on learning more and more of that knowledge. And then of course, you know, um, I am, I am, uh, you know, spiritual. So I read the Bhagavad Gita and, uh, you know, my spiritual books. And I think that's where you get wisdom from. And I, you know, I, I, that is a regular part of my life. Beautiful. Can't thank you enough. This has been really fun, really fascinating, really enlightening. A lot of knowledge. Um, we'll see how wise I am to take you up on some of the knowledge that you shared with me. Because I agree, you said something earlier, which is you can be really efficient. And everybody's got 24 hours in a day. There's right. no, no difference between me and Gandhi or Martin Luther King or name whoever your inspiration is. And I they all manage to do all kinds of great things with 24 hours. And I, I think the idea of maximizing that is one thing, but being efficient with it is, is even better than maximizing. Um, and I think you can yeah. do both. Yeah. The other thing, Brian, is that if you focus just on the day, you focus just on the present and giving it your level best, whatever goal you're envisioning is going to come true. You know, cause I, you know, I, I do, I have to say I, I work with a bunch of teams now, but when people ask me, and I, I do work with some great phenomenal players, and but you know I and I built that portfolio one at a time, right? So when I'm working, you know that's my focus, and you, you know you were talking about the art of what we do. It really is a relationship uh, business, isn't it? You know, it's basically knowing people and doing your level best and it, it's going to come back to you. It's that's, I, that's how this works. Two things. One, you had to have <laughs> the courage to call the person for the Detroit Lions and say, Hey, this is rubbish. Uh, yeah. 
He's like, Oh, well, right. you, can you do better? And you're like, yeah, I can. And so you step into that opportunity, but you're right. And you build the relationship and then you have to do the good work. Like if it's not good, it's, right. rubbish, it's going to be called right. rubbish. And so right. you know, I, I think that there's just been a lot of wisdom from this conversation. If people want to learn more about what you're up to um, and want to hire you, where can they find all the work that you're doing? So I do have a website. It's uh, uh, www.metasingmd.com. And maybe you can post it, link to it. I am on LinkedIn, uh, Mita Singh MD. And I'm, I, I am on Twitter. It's AthleteSleepMD1. And on Instagram, I just started Instagram because somebody asked me to uh, <laughs> post videos. And it's um, AthleteSleepMD. And, I, you know, I always respond to, uh, to questions. And, you know, people want to learn just a little, about, a little bit about sleep science. I have, I think if you YouTube me, you'd, you, I did a couple of uh, conferences for MIT Sloan. Um, uh, so, so, you know, it's it just something to get some information on. And for God's sake, sleep well, everybody. I will. And tonight, uh, I'm, I'm going to start with today and see how I do. And I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson. You can listen okay. to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. And you can check me out on Instagram, intentional underscore performers. If you figure out Instagram, let me know. It's not my thing, but I, I try to post some videos on there as well. Okay. Um, so anyway, great to connect with you. Um, hopefully we can stay in touch. And I, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about how um, maybe there's some overlap in, in our work. And right. um, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it and uh, be well and, and sleep well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. For some people, I suggest that if you have a habit of worrying about things, or if you can't stop thinking, actually schedule a worry time earlier during the day. So every day, I don't know, anywhere in the early evening. So, you know, early, it was me who goes to bed about 9, 30, 10. Early evening would be about 5. You know, sit down with a piece of paper and then strategize and write a list out of things that you have to do the day next day. And it sort of helps, um, it helps you gain a little bit of control over it because you feel you've already sat, sat down, written things down. And so when you start thinking or worrying when you get into bed, then it's, then you know you've already done it.